0: Good morning, as John, Pastor John said, my name's Olivia, and I attend here at the church, and I'm excited to take a look at verse 19 with you all this morning. In Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's packed, theologically packed, um, and I recognize even my own limit, human limitations in communicating it and understanding it myself, and so. We're just going to ask Jesus to come and help us this morning to understand his word and that it would move from our head to our heart and, and uh, impact us. So let's do that together. Again, Jesus, uh, we come before you. I thank you for first the moment we just shared together as a body of believers where we just lifted our voices to you and our voices Pleased you. They brought joy to you. And the fact that we can even do that, as imperfect as we are, this is just such an example of your grace and your goodness in our life. Thank you for the power that comes when the body of believers is gathered together. So it's just with abundance of thankfulness that we come this morning. And you now, Recognize, God, that the task that is before us to understand what it means that you dwelled fully in Christ. And so I just, I just ask for your help this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move this from our brains to our hearts, and would you change us? And God, if there's people in this room this morning that aren't sure about who you are, would you make yourself so clear this morning? And for those of us who've decided to follow you, that need the truth of your word, would you make that so clear? So Jesus, um, search us and know our hearts, test us and know our anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting this morning. We love you. Amen. Amen. So... um, If you guys have been attending for the past several weeks or watching online, you know that we've been really planted in five verses in Colossians chapter one, and that Paul was writing this book to the church because there were some false teachings that were going on that threatened the doctrine of the church. And there's different facets of that false teaching, but The element, the aspect of false teaching that Paul chooses to address in this particular verse, in verse 19, is this this teaching that was going on in Colossae about that Jesus descended from God and was less than God. So this teaching was going on in Epaphras, who had started the church in Colossae, knew that this was a threat to the church and that correct teaching and truth needed to be reminded to the church. And so he took the journey to Rome. That's where Paul was imprisoned at the time. He unloaded all of what was going on, and then Paul wrote this letter to the church to help remind them of what is true. And it's so at this point that we enter into verse 19. But I think it's important to remind ourselves this morning that the issue that they were facing in that church, it wasn't only specific to that church at that point in time, but we see these uprisings of of teaching that moves away from the truth of Scripture. In fact, in 1977, there was a group of recognized church leaders in England that wrote a book called The Myth of God Incarnate. And the whole point of the book was to demonstrate that Christ could not have been fully God. And so in order for the premise of that book to have any merit, they took the foundation and the framework that assumed that the Bible is not the divine authority of God and that somehow the the word of God changes over time. You see the issue there. The issue is is not only in the 1970s, but we see it today. Uh, New Age worldview is written and, and experienced throughout our culture today. I just saw it in a Disney movie that I watched a couple weeks ago with my kids. Uh, one of the leaders of the New Age movement, his name is Deepak Chopra, and he wrote a book called The Three Jesuses. And he defined Jesus as three individual people, the figurehead of the church, a historical figure, and thirdly, a teacher. And so there's all of these competing worldviews and beliefs that want to dismantle that Christ was fully God. And so this morning, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Christ being fully man, although we know that he was both fully God and fully man, but we're going to particularly focus on what did it mean that Christ was fully God. And so, um, as we think about the need for this teaching in the past in the church and in the present in the church, uh, a theologian named Wayne Grudem, uh, who's, who's written and studied scripture pretty heavily and wrote, written a lot of books on this particular topic, said this. Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person, though not a contradiction is a paradox that we cannot fully understand in this age and perhaps not for all eternity. But this does not give us the right to label it incoherent or unintelligible. Our proper response is not to reject the clear and central teaching of Scripture about the Incarnation, but simply to recognize that it will remain a paradox, that this is all that God has chosen to reveal about it and that it's true. If we are to submit ourselves to God and his words in scripture, then we must believe it. And so what he's talking about here is that even the aspects of scripture that we cannot understand does not mean that we insert in our lack of understanding or sometimes fear that comes out of lack of understanding, our own beliefs on Scripture. What Scripture says is true is absolutely true, and we must uphold that as Christians. And the central teaching of Jesus being fully God is a core belief of the Christian faith, and we can't move from that. And so this morning, as we enter into this verse, I want us to submit ourselves to two things this morning. The first is called P.I.M., an acronym that means pain in the mind. It was coined by John Stott, who's an author and a pastor. And um, the pain in the mind is the analytical process that we subject our minds to in order to understand the word of God. It's the deep thinking that we give our mind to, to understand the word of God so that we can apply it to today. In addition to helping my husband run our business, I occasionally teach collegiate level courses. And the feedback that I get from my students often is, your your content is dense and your assignments make me think. And my response to them is, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. In fact, I I hope your brain is so tired that your head just drops into your books at the end of the night. And if you're thinking, well, I wouldn't really want her as a professor, well, I understand that. But you know, my my hardest professor, Alice Ott, you remember Dr. Ott? Pastor John probably remembers Dr. Ott. I would rail against her because she gave me an A minus. And she really challenged me to think and we're in a culture today where we have to think, our minds have to be devoted to understanding the word of God unless we be tempted to say, well, this is an intellectual pursuit. It's for people who are pursuing higher academia. My grandpa never made it past high school. And he worked in a steel factory the majority of his life. And his Bible still sits on our coffee table in my grandma's house, and it's got notes written on the margins and highlighter all throughout, because he was a man of the word. And when I was sitting in his hospital room, and I didn't know how sick he was, he said to me, Olivia, if it's time for me to go, I'm ready to be with Jesus. And at the time, I thought that that was the musings of maybe a man who was scared And in retrospect what that was, it was the culmination of his theology coming out. Everything that he'd spent his life prepping for and preparing for was coming to this. And he was getting renty to enter into the throne room of God. And he knew it. He he knew it. And so this morning, submitting our minds to pain in the mind, it is the call of all Christians. And so we're going to do that together. And secondly, I want us to submit ourselves to a posture of humility, that there are some things that we're not going to completely be able to work out. But that doesn't make God's word any less true, and it doesn't make the task any more fitting or right. And so this morning, we subject both our minds to study and then our hearts to the things that we don't understand and saying, God, even the things we may not Fully be able to get our minds around. We trust you that it's true, and what you've given us in your Word is sufficient. And so, we're going to address this. This verse answering three questions. The first of which is this: If God dwelled completely in Christ, what does that mean? If God dwelled completely in Christ, what does that mean? Secondly, what does that reveal about God? And thirdly, what does this mean for our life? And so I want to take apart this verse in two sections when we're answering this first question of what does this mean. And the first section I want to look at is what does the fullness of God dwelling in Christ actually mean? And so the verbiage fullness is similar verbiage used in the Old Testament when describing God's glory filling the temple. And so when when this verse talks about God fully dwelling in Christ, it's talking about Christ being wholly filled and flooded by God. It's talking about an abundance of his presence and his power. He's without lack. He possesses wisdom, power, spirit of God, and glory of God. So to say that Christ was filled by God means that he was the perfect revelation of God and that because we have seen Christ, we know God. John chapter 1 describes it in this way. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews actually describes it in this way, that Christ is the imprint of his nature. The imprint of his nature. I was at the zoo a couple weeks ago with my kids, and we went past this coin machine. You guys have probably seen it before, where you put all the parents are nodding because... We've all been subjects to this coin machine. <laughs> you, uh, you put your penny in the machine, and you crank the dial to a particular image, and you choose which animal you want to come out on the coin. And you know it's a waste of money, and you know that the coin is going to be lost before you ever leave the zoo, but you want to be a fun parent, so you do it anyway. So uh, my son does that. He picks a particular picture of an animal, a uh, Komodo dragon, something like that. He chooses the dial. He runs the dial to the image, and then he cranks it, and out pops this penny, and it's this perfect imprint of this image that he had selected. And while this analogy falls short, the essence of it is that what you see on that picture is what gets imprinted in perfection, imperfection in per, in <laughs> onto the penny. And so when Hebrews talks about Christ being the imprint of his nature. He is fully God and demonstrating and is fully God in his being. And so the verse not only talks about Christ, God being fully in Christ, but also that he dwells within him. What does that mean that he's dwelling in him? It means he pervades, prompts, governs within Christ. And so... The implication of that is that Christ does not operate on his own authority, but he operates on God's authority. And so when Christ was talking about this with his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 10, he said, The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. And so we have Um, This perfect representation of who God is in Christ. God is dwelling in Christ. Christ operates on, on God's authority. And then we have this element of the verse, the second part of this verse I want to look at, that says God was pleased to dwell in him. And what's that mean? Well, first, I think it means that God was saying that Christ was good and fitting for the task. But well, what task? The task of bringing salvation to the world. And I'm not going to break apart all of that this morning because next week we're going to talk about that. This is a the beginning of the sentence starts in verse 19 and it continues through 20. But we see God's approval of his son in Matthew when Jesus is baptized and God speaks over this situation, over, over this event, and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And what he's saying in that moment is that this, this is the son of God, and everything that I said to you that was going to happen is going to be fulfilled in this person. He's being stamped for the task of bringing salvation to the world. But I think it means not only was Christ Chosen for the task, but it was necessary that Christ be fully God in order to fulfill the task. And I want us to pay attention to this. This is where it gets a little studious, but I think that it's worthy of our our PIM this morning. Because this makes all the difference in evangelism, it makes all the difference and what characterizes Christianity, that Christ had to be fully God. And so Grudem, who I referenced earlier, describes three reasons why Christ had to be fully God, the first of which is this. He says, only someone who is fully God could bear the penalty of sin. Only someone who is fully God could bear the penalty of sin. No human could endure that. And I think when we think of the cross, we, our brains often go to the physical pain that Christ endured. And no doubt that was the most excruciating way to die. We can't argue that. But other men did endure it. But what other men did not endure is the isolation and the incredible weight of our sin. There's, what, 50 people in this room? And think of all of the crud that you carry. He took that, added up amongst the 50 of us, and then think about that in the span of the whole world over all of time that he bore the weight of our sin. A man alone could not do that. Secondly, he says that salvation comes from the Lord, and certainly we know that all of Scripture demonstrates that we are insufficient to be able to save ourselves. I mean, the Old Testament proved that. We, we see that as it continues in the New Testament. And so we needed a Savior. And, and, and also what that demonstrates is that the Word of God is true. In order for everything that God said in the Old Testament to be true and for us to believe it, He had to bring someone. And He did that. This isn't just a book that makes us feel good. This is the word of God and it's true and it's been true and it will continue to be true and it doesn't change in its truth and you can't omit to it and you can't take away from it. It's God's words for us. And so, yes, that is why we must be intense about our study for the Word of God because when I look at our culture and I see what's going on and I see commercials and I see the things that my son comes home and he tells me from school, I just want to cave in. It's discouraging. I think, how am I going to navigate this? The word of God, I stand on truth and my truth doesn't change. I'm so thankful that it doesn't change. And thirdly, he says that only someone who is fully God and man could be the mediator between God and man. So Christ came and he brought humanity back to God and he revealed God to us and it was only someone who had both the nature of God, and the nature of man that could do that. And so, Olivia, why are you sharing these reasons? I'm sharing you these, with these reasons with you because I want you to see how the word of God is true, how God bound it together, and it, and it makes sense, and it fulfills itself. And as I said earlier, it makes all the difference in evangelism. I've been hanging out with a family from Afghanistan and I was having a conversation with um, my friend and he was talking about Jesus and I was talking about Jesus and he said, you know, he said Jesus is a good man and Jesus was a prophet. I said, yeah, he was those things. But what's different about what you believe in Islam and what I believe in Christianity is that Jesus was the son of God. And in order for us to be able to articulate our faith to people, we have to understand why that had to be and that it, in fact, is true. And so, if God dwelled fully in Christ and Christ revealed his nature and he operated under his authority and God was pleased to do it and he chose Christ for this task and it was necessary he be fully God, then what does this reveal to us about God? God in his goodness not only brought this about to fulfill scripture, but in doing this, he made a way for us to know him more. And so I don't think we can move through this text without taking some time to think about what the scriptures show us about who God is through the person of Christ. And we could go through an exhaustive list this morning, but we won't do that. I just pulled a couple characteristics, some that are specific to the divinity of God. Only he can, only he can have those characteristics because he is God. But also some characteristics that we can display as well. And so this morning, taking a look at characteristics that are specific to his deity I want to talk about his omnipotence which is a big word that means God had command over the created world in fact the verses leading up to verse 19 Paul talks about this reality in Christ Christ was always there at the beginning of the world he's creating it he's sustaining it and so when we take a look at the Gospels and we see how Christ engaged with the created world, we can, now, we can know that our Father is too also all-controlling of the created world. In Matthew 18, Jesus is out with his disciples in the Sea of Galilee, and a storm begins to, to brew, and his disciples get scared, and they come and they shake him. And they want to know what's going on. And Jesus stills the storm with his very words. And his disciples, I don't think, really quite know who he is at this point. And he says, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? And so we see in this that Christ has power and control over the created world. Secondly, we see God's sovereignty through Christ, which means his power in our world, particularly through Christ's authority to forgive sin. In Matthew 9, a man came to Jesus, was brought to Jesus, and he was paralyzed. And Jesus, before he heals him, he says to the man, I know, I can see that you believe in me, I've forgiven you. And the people accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and they say, Who are you that you can forgive sins? But Jesus was able to forgive sins because he is fully God and he was operating under the authority of God. And thirdly, another characteristic of his deity is that he had victory over death. And so this morning when we're standing together and there's no music and it's just our voices and we're just singing what you've done, what you've done, All the glory and the honor to the Son. Our sins are forgiven. Our future is heaven. I praise God for what you've done. That's because there was finality on the cross. What he did was complete. He bore our sin and he canceled our debt and he forgave our sins and they were no longer our debt to pay. And I think... And I say this a lot when I'm up here, but you know what? It's just true. The gospel is just, it's never old. It's never stale. If you've served the Lord for 20 years or you've served the Lord for five years or maybe you're just coming to the Lord, it is good. It is good. And we just have to marinate in that. And I've just been, man, there's just been moments in our congregation lately where I know that the Holy Spirit's here, and he's moving, and it just fills my heart with incredible joy and gratefulness, and then I know that that God is pleased in that. There was a a couple weeks ago, Brandon was up here, and the theology of the song was just so deep, and then Brandon sang with gusto that part of the song, and then Pastor John's always been a good preacher, but he came, and he divided the word, and I mean, it was just spot on. And then there was another week, several weeks before that, where Justin's leading us in worship, and, and he says, you know, just, just start praying. And I don't think at that moment he knew people were going to start praying out loud, but then Steve started praying out loud, and then everybody, you know, people just started jumping in, and I thought, God's in this place. He's here. He's with us right now. And the reason that we can do this together is because Christ came and he paid the penalty for sin. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And so, Christ, he had command over the created world, he had authority to forgive sin, he had victory over death. And so if you find yourself reading the news lines and you're just like, what is happening in our world? Do not forget that God is in heaven and he has power and control and he's going to make things right. However wretched and horrible that they are, he's going to make it right. And we have to hold on to that hope. Second set of characteristics that describe Christ that we can also emulate as well, but are most perfectly revealed in Christ that describe our Father. One of them is this, truthfulness. Throughout the Gospels, Christ would quote the Old Testament, Isaiah specifically, demonstrating the fulfillment of Scripture. We have a faithful God who says and does what he promised. Secondly, we see the incredible love from the Father through Christ, and that Christ loved people that was only going to cause him pain. It's easier to love people that reciprocate to us in some way. It's difficult to love people that only give us pain. Can you think of one of those relationships in your life? Right? You just know it's sacrificial love. This was Christ, particularly in the final moments where he was most vulnerable and he needed his friends by his side. His disciples fell asleep. His closest disciple denied him and Judas betrayed him. And he knew it. He knew going into his greatest physical moment of pain that he was going to experience his biggest betrayal. He loves us. Christ loves us. Our Father loves us. And lastly, the mercy that Christ showed is the mercy that we can believe our Father has towards us. Christ showed goodness to people in difficulty. Some of the difficulty they chose. Some of it they didn't. But Christ was a friend to the sick. He was a friend to women He was a friend to sinners. So this morning we have these attributes of God that describe his deity as all-powerful. And then we have these attributes of God that describe his love and his mercy and his goodness in our life. And so what do we do with all of that? If Christ was fully God, it reveals God to us, we spend time thinking about what that means, then what do we do? Three takeaways for this morning, and the third and final point is this. And what does this mean for our life? The first reaction is that we should glorify God. Uh, Yesterday, I was at my in-law's house, and they own some acreage, and I had a moment to myself, and I knew, you know, obviously that I was going to be preaching this morning, and I just didn't feel like there was anything I could say that would communicate the magnitude of what this verse says. And I head out into this open field and the sun is shining and the leaves are changing and I can feel the warmth on my face and I thought, okay, I'm gonna get this divine revelation in this field. God, you got 30 minutes, give it to me. And um, I always wanna be productive with my times with God. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if it was him or me or a combination of both, but I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to make this productive. I'm just going to be with him. And so I just walked, and I just looked at the trees that he made, and I just felt the warmth of the sun on my face, and I just thought, you're good. You're good, and if, if nothing more comes out of this moment other than you're good and I know it and you get recognized for it, then, then that's, that's sufficient, right? Like we can have those moments with God. They don't have to be incredibly profound. They just have to be intimate. And he wants that with us. He wants that glory. And so in, in Matthew 9, when the man who was paralyzed was forgiven, then, God healed, then Christ healed him. And the crowd saw it. They were afraid, but then they glorified God for doing this great work through the person of Christ. And so this morning, as we get ready to head into a continual time of worship and we reflect on Christ's work on the cross through communion, before you ask him for anything, can you just spend a couple minutes just thinking about how good he is? He's just so deserving He's so deserving. So, first, takeaway for this morning, and what does this verse mean for our life, is it should lead us to a reaction of glorifying God. Secondly, this verse communicates that God can be known. He can be known. And so, this morning, if you haven't made a decision to be in relationship with God, can I ask you to think about that? There are just going to be people that are going to come up, and they're going to be on the sides. Pastor John will be around. If you want to pray with someone and talk that through, don't wait. My decision to follow Jesus was the best decision that I have ever made, and it changed everything. And so, what do you think about that? But for those of you who have made a decision to follow God, do you know more than just facts about your faith? Do you have a closeness with him? Do you miss him? When you haven't spent time with him, do you miss him? He misses you. Do you have moments where you just, you talk about life with him, other than just here's, here's my burdens, here you go, and he listens and, and he'll take all that if that's all he gets. But he wants us to know him. And so he gave us Christ. So we could see these characteristics and we could ponder the, his nature and engage with him in those things. Do you enjoy him? Or is he just far removed? Last takeaway for this morning, and, and this truly is where we're going to land. Colossians, Paul goes on in Colossians uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, to talk about being filled, us as people, being filled with Christ. And so I want to read that for us this morning. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been filled in him what's that mean? Christ is the fullness of God and we are filled in Christ, which means that we have everything that we need in him. So this week, whatever you're getting ready to head into, whether that's financial stress or a difficult job or contemplating and grieving someone who's passed or a difficult marriage, or a hard relationship, or a child that's far from God, whatever you're heading into this week, you have everything that you need in Christ to be able to face that. What's that mean, Olivia? We have everything that we need. We share, because of our union with Christ, if you are a believer, you share in the power and authority that he has to enter into the dark places of life. You do not have to be on the defensive. You can be on the offensive because the power of God lives in you. I started feeling the weight of this when I sent Pierce to school. And I'm telling you what, kindergartens is one of the darkest places that I've ever seen. And that's not an overstatement. The things that he would come home and tell me and after school, and the things that I had to explain to a kindergartner, and I thought, this world is dark. How is Pearson going to get through school still believing in Jesus? And the conviction in that is that, Olivia, you have the power of God living in you to help you fight the battle of sin. We are filled with Christ. So everything we need to know and obey him is in this book, and this is why we have to uphold its authority above all else. When you begin to dismantle this, when you begin to take pieces and parts of it that you don't want to obey or you don't want to submit to, you take its authority away, and the authority is what we live on. And so this morning, I want to pray for us as we think about these takeaways, glorifying God, God can be known, and we are filled with Christ. I want to pray this with us and for us. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3. And again, this verbiage that that Paul uses about being filled with Christ. I want to pray this for us. It's Ephesians 13, 14 through 18. Would you guys close your eyes? Um, And let's pray. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. God, we pray these things. We love you in your name. Amen.